Abolitionist for Everybody is a podcast that tackles the sometimes difficult conversations around prison abolition. I'm Crystal. And I'm Graham. This season is about the media's involvement in carceral or abolitionist thinking. How it uses narratives to impact, radicalize, and shift culture. Just a reminder, friends, though the title of this episode may give you some warning, remember that harm itself tends to create situations of alternate harms. There will likely be other painful topics brought up too. Take care of you. Welcome back to another episode of Abolition is for Everybody. This episode, we're going to be talking about gangs and immigration. Before we get started, we wanted to mention that we've lumped these two really different topics together. Simply put, we're highlighting how they are often conflated in the media to help sensationalize stories despite the reality of the situation. And we have a guest to help us talk through it. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me. I am a born and raised Angelino. I'm also a public school teacher and I am an active community member and abolitionist myself. Thank you so much for being here, Val. I have, you know, had the honor of witnessing your activism in our community. Uh, for our listeners, can you tell them a little bit more about how you're connected to uh, the topic of immigration and gangs? Yes, of course. Um, So I'm also system impacted. I have a loved one inside and they also have a status of not a legal status. So when we talk about immigration, there are consequences that are unforeseen and we're waiting to see what's going to happen. I know a lot of our listeners are being introduced to a lot of terminology this season and really all seasons. Can you describe a little bit more what that status looks like for somebody, for your loved one who is incarcerated. I don't think a lot of people know what happens once they finish their prison term, like what comes after that. So when someone serves their time and completes their time and they go through the parole board system and they're one of the discussions, one of the questions will come up is, does this individual have an ice hold? And right away, if you're familiar with ice, That means that as soon as that person is deemed um, eligible, eligible for parole, they made they jumped all these hoops and and they're deemed an amazing person and they are eligible for parole. They still have that ice hold. And that means ice, the second they are released, will be transferred into directly into ice. And after that, they just lots of people disappear. I mean, it's a scary situation because at least. I can receive a phone call, write, or even visit my loved one inside in a California institution. But once they're transferred to ICE, they can leave the state, go to Louisiana, be transferred anywhere in in this nation to an ICE facility. So when you talk about immigration status, if you're a resident, if you commit a, uh, a crime, you lose that residency status. So you become just undocumented is your label. And you will have an ICE hold on your record. So when they are transferred to the ICE detention centers or facilities, uh, what what's the process then? Like, do they go through a lengthy court process? Are they able to call home then? Like, what are some of the things that they do have versus what they do not have? 
So from what I understand, because my loved one isn't in the that stage yet, but what I've heard from other people is they're waiting there and they can wait forever long. It could be indefinite to see a judge. And at that point, a judge will ask if you want to fight your ice hold or be deported. So we will be facing two decisions. And a lot of families who lived here in this country, only they call this country home and they don't know anything else, you have to make that decision right then and there. Do I want to fight this and stay basically incarcerated for an indefinite time or be transferred, I mean, or be deported and leave to an unfamiliar place, country with no supports there? Wow. When you use the words indefinite and forever, that is so scary because there's just like no end in sight. And you basically go from being incarcerated to being incarcerated uh, right off the bat. Um, I actually did not know that once somebody gets transferred to ice hold that you kind of lose touch and connections with your loved one and that they can be um, sent anywhere in, in the US. Part of my job is that I read thousands of letters from folks who are incarcerated throughout the state of California. And lately I've been getting more and more letters just pleading for help from folks who are ready to come home um, and excited, you know, to rejoin their community. But they found out that they're going straight to an ice hold. Um, some folks write that they've been in this country since they were children. Uh, some don't even know the language of the country that they're getting sent to. So I think the more that I learn about this, the scarier the process sounds. And I'm really curious to know, Val, what is one thing, because I know that the media does such a great job at scaring people um, and using words like illegal aliens to describe our community. So I'm, I'm wondering, what are, your, what are your thoughts there? Having, you know, a loved one who isn't documented, what are the things that you see in the media and what are, you, what are the things that you wish, you know, were shared instead? Well, the one thing the media lacks is a human a human aspect, the human story. We were called undocumented. I mean, how far removed from an actual person, a human being is that? And when we're talking about these undocumented, quote unquote, undocumented people, we're talking about men, women, domestic violence survivors, refugees, veterans. These are who we're sending away. We're punishing them twice and we're separating them from our their only home. I know so many stories of people that came here as infants. They owned and served two over two decades. Uh, they went to ICE and they couldn't serve their time. They couldn't take it. They can do two decades, over two decades in a California facility and they found healing and rehabilitation and were found commutable by a, a previous governor, passed their board, found, uh, you know, made all those steps of progress in their life. And then were just released and snatched up, kidnapped by, our, by ICE. And mm -hmm. she was later, you know, separated by any communication from, from her family. She didn't know what was happening. They don't, they don't know anything. At least when you're in a California facility, you know your sentence, you know what you can do to get out and work toward progress. But when you're in ICE, there's no 
progress to make, one day they're going to send, this country's going to say, you're out of here and that's it. You don't get to plead your case. You do get to plead a case, but it's most likely going to be a deportation. And you hear like zero reporting on that. Before, Graham, I know that sparked the thought in you, but before we move further, Val, I want to check in with you. Um, Is there a better term to use than undocumented? Because very, very early on, I learned don't use illegal alien, but this is the first time to be honest, that I hear undocumented also removes the, the humanity and the empathy from folks. Well, I always like to say, you know, these are community members that do not have a legal status. And some actually do have their residency. They, may, they have a green card and a residency. But as soon as you commit a felony, those, those titles are stripped because that is a, a considered a privilege. That's super tragic. And I think in terms of the way that the media represents this or the fact that they don't, they don't show these stories is because there's no hook. We know that the media is heavy on hooks and there's Mm -hmm. really no hook because the public opinion, just based on what the media has fed them historically, is that once you commit an act of harm or a crime, a felony in in this case, like you get what you get. And so uh, the public opinion would not bite into the story. So the media doesn't cover it, but it's clear from the way that you've described it, that these people without legal status, uh, that there's a, there's a story that should be told and represented so that this act of harm that's being done to them could be undone. Yes. I mean, it's so true. I mean, most of the women that are incarcerated have also experienced domestic violence. They're domestic violence survivors. We're punishing them twice they're doing yes they're doing their what we call penance and serving their time but then after that they're deported they're separated from their only family their loved ones their community to a country that they probably haven't been since they were minors what connection and what kind of support do they face there do they even have some of these people have never like you said um, before don't speak the language we have Every, every immigrant we can talk about from Asia, Southeast Asian, from Africa, from all of Latin America, South America, everywhere being deported to places they don't feel safe in because they left the country as refugees, countries with their own gang problem. And if they go to get deported, that's a da- we're endangering people by sending them back to a country they have no connection to or support there. No one talks about the dangers about deportation. I think one of the most heartbreaking things, you know, when it comes to this topic is the missed opportunities that we have before incarceration and then after, after incarceration or after somebody gets deported. I was watching a video by John Oliver on YouTube where he talks about immigration. And in that video, he shared of a mom who was separated from her child at the border. And they were separated for so long that the little boy was crying as he said, I want to go back to the jail. You're not my mom anymore. I don't recognize you. I want to go. He was pleading to go back to the jail, you know, and it all the trauma that the child went through, all the trauma that the mom has went through is like, yeah, they are reunited. Um, but look at the trauma that we have put into their lives. And at the end of the video, John Oliver pauses and says, we did that. We made that happen. We put that trauma 
in that family. And it's just so heartbreaking to think of the different ways that we are just naturally complicit in this um, because the media and politicians do such a good job at scaring us and using words that scare the that scare us from these community members. So as someone who comes from a Latino community and a community that's full of quote unquote gangs, I always see just how inaccurate the representation of our communities is. So I have a, I have a question, kind of a question commentary. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So the media covers this from a specific angle and it informs the public and the politicians inform the media uh, as to the angle to cover. So we hear about like border surges. We hear about terms like anchor baby. We hear things like that. And the media covers it all from a problem solution approach. Like, Oh, here's the problem. And the politicians will come up with a solution. Now, my opinion, and I wonder if you agree on this is that, and I, and I, and this comes from my personal experience being previously incarcerated, being a, a, a gang member. Um, like, I think that, I think that the real solution is in asking why, like, why are there surges at the border? Like, why is this an avenue that people will use to come into the country? And it, it comes a lot with what you mentioned in terms of the, the issues that are taking place, the community issues that are taking place, the danger that's taking place in, in the countries of origin. But I'm wondering if you agree with, with what I'm saying. Like, if you ask why, I know for me, um, I mean, I got gang involved. I became gang involved and and did the things that I did that eventually landed me in prison for a lengthy period of time because there was trauma in my life. There was experiences in my life that I didn't have the tools nor coping mechanisms to deal with. It was a very dangerous place in my house. So I went out to the streets. It was a very dangerous place in the streets. So I did what I had to do to survive, so on and so forth, ad infinitum or nauseum to prison. And so like, I think that asking why can be a solution here. And I wonder what you think about that. I see how your story parallels to a lot of refugee stories that are here that are being deported. They escape a country with their family to, to here for opportunity to feel safe. They have no choice. You have no choice but to leave for a better life for your family here. And even here, there are dangers that some communities cannot face because you probably as an immigrant, you want to feel safe and you go to a known community, but even within those communities, gangs are there. So our children, our youth are vulnerable in those situations. They grow up in that, in, in, in possibly gangs, and, and, and it's circular. So, I mean, the trauma we're creating by deporting is not a solution to helping these individuals that had left a country for for safety and then we're going to send them back it just it's circular to me absolutely and i think like the narrative the media narrative and the social narrative on gangs also uh is corrupted it's not it's not entirely accurate it's flawed like gangs are communities i've often said just based on what i've seen in my lived experience that without toxic masculinity and patriarchy a gang is just a community network it's a group of people who band together and deal with uh, the the absence of certain aspects, uh, one would call it entitlements, other people would call it privilege, uh, but like the lack of access to certain things and they deal with those things within their community with the lack of resources, emotional and otherwise, uh, that they can. Like, so a gang is just a network of people without, without patriarchy and toxic masculinity. Uh, it's essentially harmless. It's really just doing what it can to band a community of people together. That makes sense because 
how I met, like, you know, how I mentioned before, I did grow up in a community that has gangs and, you know, La Latino community. And I didn't realize just how badly the media was portraying gangs or communities with gangs until my brother's incarceration a couple of years ago. Because the way that I grew up was, this is a community that is trying to survive. This is a community that is constantly harassed by the cops. We are poor. <laughs> we are broke. A lot of us don't know the language. A lot of us in, in this general community are community members that don't have legal status. And it reminds me of, of one time where uh, I would walk home from the bus stop in high school and an individual would follow me and take pictures of me and do sexual uh, things in his car. And I remember that I took out a dollar and wrote their license plate. And as soon as I got home, it wasn't the first time it happened. Um, didn't want to call the cops because usually like they don't do anything. Uh, but that time he freaked me out to the point where I, I called as soon as I got home. The two white police officers came and nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. So then I told my loved one who told his friends and I was safe from then on because they would walk me home. And these are the kind of things that the media doesn't portray. The sense of community, us just wanting to survive. And we're, we're dealt with systems that are meant to see us fail. And unfortunately, when we don't quote unquote make it, they just criminalize us and incarcerate us. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's no surprise that we have our little pods out here and we have our pods in prisons as well. Um, I, I've never been incarcerated, Graham, so you can go ahead and talk about this more. But, you know, pods exist inside and outside of prisons so that we can survive and hopefully thrive in a in an America that wants to see us fail and sent back to our countries. I think you touch a lot of important topics and I think I'm just reflecting a lot, but it's just ironic that this country is built on immigrant, immigrant thoughts, immigrant communities, and also enslaved people. We're labor. Labor, but yet we don't want immigrants here and we don't welcome them and we don't give second chances to immigrants. I think of how our law reflects that. And it's it's funny that we can take certain things from immigrants, but then we can push back and be like, we don't want this, this, and this in our community, you know? So we reject if we don't fit the model minority, you're not embraced in our country. What is the model minority uh look like? What does that mean? The model minority is like the immigrant that follows all the directions, follows all the laws, succeeds in life, is a contributing member to society. And it's it's a myth. It's basically a myth because we're all people. We're going to have, we're going to succeed and some of us are not going to succeed. We're, we're at all levels. Think about Americans in general with legal status, citizens, they, 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 they we have you know, at the high level, we have the rich, the middle class, and the poor. But when we talk about immigrants, we only want to accept a certain type of immigrant, the one that's successful, the one that's, and even then, even if you're a successful immigrant, you still have more hurdles to climb. 
because you're not an American, so to speak. It's as if they uh like they don't allow within uh within that realm, they don't allow people to have any emotional issues, any like you can't acknowledge your trauma. You can't acknowledge any hardship or lack of access that existed within your community because you should just be happy to be here. Like that's really the narrative. That's the only Im- immigrant that I see welcomed. And that's why I never embrace the immigrant portrayals of the successful person who I, I try not to embrace those. I, I like uplifting positive immigrant stories, but then you have only positive immigrant stories that you want to share and support and everybody else you do not, you want to exclude them. So that, that's what I mean by the human aspect. We're only accepting of people who are highly successful that jumped every hurdle, but we don't have to, we're human. We can be at any level. I don't have to be a millionaire. I don't have to be a successful CEO to prove my immigration status to be accepted. I just want to survive here in this country. You know, we should parallel what Americans have in this country, which is the same opportunities and the same chances. When an American person serves their time, is deemed eligible for parole, they get to go home. They get to be reunited with their loved ones and be where they should be. But if you're an immigrant, guess what? You're going to get punished twice. We're going to separate from everyone you know, and that's it. I, I never I never fully processed it the way you just explained it right now, Val. So thank you, because they do have these standards of what makes you, quote unquote, worthy. And even when you meet those standards that they create, you still don't get treated well. You're still always with that threat hanging over your head that you might get deported at any second. You see that a lot with DACA recipients. Um, It's like years and years and years of of fighting. And besides the family separation and, you know, the loss of connections between you and, and your loved one, a lot of the things that I've I've kind of seen, and to be quite honest, not super familiar with, is the experience of being in ice hold. I know for a long, for a while, the media, you know, would show the crowded places and the like aluminum blankets that were given. But I feel like if you're not from that community, that's as far as, you know, the knowledge goes. And I know you've done a lot of work and advocacy when it comes to this. Can you share a little bit more about what what that looks like so that our listeners can get a little bit more of an idea of what that experience and trauma is like? Well, I always make the comparison of our prison institutions in California because I've been there as a visitor. And um, I, I know from my loved one what it is inside that they can receive I have visits with them. I have phone calls. I have access. I can write them. But ICE is a whole different machine controlled at the federal level. So it's almost as if I don't have access to my loved one. If once you're inside and hold, they disappear. It almost feels like they disappear. You can call every day and try to find out if, for example, my, if my loved one is deemed um, eligible for parole, ICE is going to pick them up. I'm not going to know where. 
they'll be. I don't know when I'll find them. I don't even know what the next step is to locate them. At least with the in California Inmate Finder, I can track and find resources to, I, we have connections to find our loved ones and find support for them. In an ice hold, they disappear. I might have to hire a lawyer, usually a lawyer is involved to help connect a family member to our loved ones that are in an ice, um, ice facility. And at that point, they can disappear again and go to another state. A lot of people get shipped out really quick. Once they get an ice hole, they go to an ice facility and boom, next thing you know, I can't find them. They're in another state. I know of a case, it was like less than two weeks and then they were in Louisiana and they were trying to reach their family. They had to get an attorney to find another, um, another nonprofit got in to support that family to find them. It's, it's scary that our, our ICE is a facility that feels above the law at that point and make people disappear. And nothing is clear for them from what I understand of how long you're going to be there when you're going to see a judge for a hearing. It's, it's a very unclear. It's a, it's a very fuzzy, unclear system. So that's the, the fear for everyone who has the ICE. It's not just a deportation. It's the conditions inside that I don't even know, but exactly what's, what they face on the daily. But I hear it's scary. It's so scary that some people self-elect and be like, just deport me. I can't take another day, a day inside. That's what scares me. No one wants to talk about those things. What is going on inside? Wow, that's really heavy. Thank you for sharing that. I have a question kind of logistical. So is there like, a, you said an indefinite amount of time um, and that's super clear. Is there like an average amount of time that a person would end up fighting their case like that we could pinpoint? And what does fighting your case look like also? Like what do, like if, if yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering what fighting your case would look like in that situation. So it's basically individual based. You get a hearing with a judge and from what I understand, it could be you can wait months. Um, and at that point, a judge will say, do you want to fight your case? And that's when you should you need money. You need money to find an attorney or some kind of um, nonprofit agency who are fighting for immigrants to fight their deportation. And that can take I don't know. It, it just seems like forever. I think. Immigrants that are in, in an ICE facility come to a point where they don't see any hope. They basically say, just deport me because I can't stay here any day longer. And that's what I think the system is pushing us to do. The conditions are so horrible that they give up. So they're so far removed from their family. They're, they're in other states. They have no connection. They don't know what's happening. They don't get to talk to their family. And they give up. They said, just deport me. Send me to a country I've never, I haven't been in decades. Who does that? Wow. It has to be really bad if you, you just give up. I mean, my loved one has served 20 plus years and has hope. But when we talk about ICE, I can hear in his voice, he wants to give up. Like, why am I going to do this time if I'm never going to be with you? Yeah, I mean, to the point that 
you have folks saying, I, I prefer staying in the state prison or just deport me. Yeah. And the fact that the next time you hear from them is possibly when they're already in another country. I have heard that too. My loved one had said, I'd rather just stay here in California. At least I get to see you. I, I feel safe here. That's scary. I'm like, why, 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 why won't you fight to stay here? And he's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight it. I don't want to be in ice. When you're choosing to stay inside, then going to your parole board and you know, you're ready to be released. You're ready. You are a different person. You are not the same person anymore. And you, you don't, you fear that deportation. That's scary that he wants to stay inside. He rather stay inside than be deported. Wow. And so like in the process going up to board, we know that there's a tremendous amount of self-work involved. There's a tremendous amount of going to groups and seeking therapy and the limited amounts of therapy and the limited amounts of groups that take place within the California prison system during the process of fighting a case in ICE, does any of the work that you've done that that's board uh, of parole hearings has found you suitable, which essentially says you are rehabilitated. So you can go home. We feel secure with you in our public. Does any of that come into play during the process of fighting an ICE hold? It's funny you should bring that up because most people in ICE holds were deemed eligible for parole. And yet it's not taken into consideration by a judge. They have deported people who have done amazing things inside, amazing work. I, I've heard a story of a man who was incarcerated in California, who was then served his time in a fire camp, served as a firefighter, a hero in the, on the outside would be deemed a hero, fighting fires, protecting people. He was deemed eligible for, uh, he was uh, eligible for parole, had an ICE transfer, he, he, he lost, he lost and was deported. And it doesn't matter all the work you did inside when, when we're just going to say, you know what, we're going to punish you again and just separate you from everything. It doesn't matter what type of person you are. These are the kind of stories that you don't hear in the media. You know, they're left out. And whenever you do hear stories like this, they slap on the illegal alien. Um, they have a lot of misleading content where they're talking about immigration. And then the images that you're seeing are of folks who would fit what society has fed us to know that is that are gangs. So I, yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to really thank you and emphasize and, and you know, encourage folks to share everything that Val has talked about here. Um, because you don't hear about these things. And the fact that so many people go through this process and are put in ICE detention and you have someone so close to you um, that, you know, hopefully doesn't have to go through that, but you have somebody so close to you that there is that possibility and you don't even know what happens there. And you know, you know, there's some really shady stuff going on in the media. It's not covering this. Um, and it is instead focused on, you know, the typical stories that we see every day. That's really heavy. Um, so I'm going to ask a question. Uh, I want to say that this has been a really rich conversation, so much information. It was, we we were able to 
cover such a wide array of subjects. And simultaneously, I know that there is some things that we missed. So what did we miss? Something that you think that the, our listeners would want to hear that we didn't get to cover in our conversation? I think um, what the media doesn't cover is that our politicians are also, our elected officials are also responsible for the problem they created. Communities did not create this problem. We're trying to seek services and solutions and our politicians, elected officials, our, our state legislature, our governors are creating the problems by creating laws that create more barriers for communities and immigrants. We don't talk about how they're part of the problem. They're creating more trauma and harm for all of us. And we have politicians currently that don't support immigrants, that have policies that are, they'll support policies or do not support policies that would help us. And those politicians circulate from office to office. So if they're in city council, they go to the state legislator. If they don't go to the state legislator, they go to the board of supervisors. So it's important to check our elected officials and see how they voted to support immigrant families and to support services over incarceration. Absolutely. So preventative services uh, as opposed to carceral punishment. I think something, if I want to, if I could speak to something that I think we missed is the full scope. I know that we covered, uh, like, I think that what I want to point out is that Valerie's lived experience uh, is singularly unique. And simultaneously, there are so many people who share that same or similar experience. Uh, there's so many, a countless number of people are going through this every single day as California puts them through the parole board process, approves them for parole, and they hit r and and are shipped off in a bus to the next location instead of being able to parole as the board told them they would. So I think that the scope, like paying attention to the scope, allows us to see the severity of the issue that we have on, on our hands. Like the problem isn't what the media is telling us. The problem comes before that. If we need preventative services, then there's something to prevent. And we aren't focusing on what needs to be prevented. Uh, we are focusing on basically reactive responses. I think the scope brings that all into focus. You've been listening to Abolitionist for Everybody. Be sure to follow us at abolitionist underscore on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for regular updates. If you want to continue to support this podcast and our work overall, you can donate to support Initiate Justice at initiatejustice.org slash donate.